0: This is the TNT College Football Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the very next episode of the TNT College Football Podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Wilson. Glad to be back on again. Another beautiful night, uh, just a couple days away from the start of the college football season. Uh, Today would mark four days away. I know this day is almost done, so we can basically say there's only three days away from week zero. For my week zero trip, I will be going to the University of Illinois, just about an hour and 15 minutes away from where I live. But I'm happy to have on the show today somebody who is a diehard fan of another week zero team that is playing. It is Jesse who runs Plant the Spear. Thanks for coming on tonight.
1: I appreciate you having me on. I'm I'm excited to uh, get into some football talk. Like you said, we have a week zero game coming up. It, even if it's against Duquesne, you know, a little FCS school, I'm still excited because college football's back. And as much as I love Florida State, I will literally sit down and watch two community colleges play on a Thursday. So, I'm just excited for football to be back on TV.
0: You and me both, man. I, I'm right there with you. And. One thing I was thinking about coming on to this. I mean, you guys play Duquesne, who obviously you guys sh- should be able to handle. It shouldn't be an issue. but Should be. Right. But Duquesne <laughs> beat Ohio last year. So, I mean, they're they're at least decent.
1: Well, you know, the funny thing, I want to say it was their coach or one of their staff members came out, I think, yesterday. And kind of made some quotes that were throwing a little bit of shade at FSU about... You know, we're prepared and, and we know we have an opportunity to shock the world. And I think a lot of that stems from Florida State, if you were watching, lost to Jacksonville State yep. at home last year. Unfortunately, that was the worst loss in program history. It was the first loss to an FCS school in program history. And so, unfortunately, with the state of the program right now, I think a lot of these teams look at Florida State like meat on, you know, there's meat on the bone hanging out there, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And that they can upset Florida State, which is something that we have to get past as a program for sure. And, you know, unfortunately, yours truly was literally sitting row one behind the Jacksonville State bench last year for that game. And let me tell you, that was pretty depressing. That was, the, that was a low moment for us, for sure.
0: I, but can, I can only Duquesne
1: imagine. I think is, Duquesne, I think, is a different animal, like you said. They, they did play TCU last year. And to open the season and they ended up, uh, losing 45 to three in a shortened game. They shortened the second half. So I'm looking for Florida state to hopefully write the ship and, and hopefully run it up a little bit.
0: Right. Right. And, and I mean, they realistically should be able to, um, we'll, we'll get into that later on in the show, but I guess the first thing I want to want to talk about is when, when did you become a Florida state fan and why did you become a Florida state fan?
1: So, for me, I've always been a Florida State fan. Like, I've never had a second favorite team. It's always been Florida State. But how I really started, I want to say I was about eight years old or so. And my brother, my older brother, he's older than me by two years, he was big time into baseball. And I was more of a football kid. He was a baseball kid. And he used to go to Mike Martin baseball camp, which if you're familiar with the Florida State community, he is – A pretty famous now retired baseball coach um, from Florida State and so my brother would go to baseball camp at in Tallahassee at Florida State on their campus and I was too young to go so my dad would take me over like to the football stadium to see it look at it and I mean I don't know if I should say this but there's usually a gate open somewhere around there (laughs) so you could kind of get inside and see the field and everything and and that was, like, my first experience, my first taste of college football. And, I, I mean, it was an instant hook. Plus, if you think about it when you're a kid and you're eight years old and you see someone like Bobby Bowden, right. you see Osceola and Renegade and the war chant, I mean, as a kid, you're just naturally drawn to that. And so I'd say probably from about eight years old, just kind of being around Tallahassee and, and hanging out around there, and it's just kind of grown from there. Well,
0: well, you you mentioned Renegade and everything that goes on with that and the chant and everything uh, that just one of the most iconic uh things in college football that takes place at games and somebody like me who travels all over the place um like I like I was telling you and a lot of my listeners already know this but one of my goals is to, is to go to a game at every FBS stadium i haven't been to Florida State um yet obviously that's that'll be in the future but What is a game experience like at Doak Campbell?
1: Oh, man. And I know because I'm a Florida State guy, I'm probably going to sound like a homer here, but it really is amazing. I mean, even the the funny thing is when we won the national championship in 2013, I I actually got to go to the Rose Bowl and watch the game. That's awesome. So when I flew back, I sat next to an Auburn fan on the plane. And we were, of course, talking about the game. And she was like that dang on war chant. She's like y'all just don't stop. <laughs> but I have to admit, it's pretty cool, you know. So it's just it's unique. I, it's unique because the the thing about our stadium, Doe Campbell Stadium, is it's got that old school college feel because mm-hmm. it's all brick. Actually, fun fact: it is the second largest brick continuous brick structure on the face of the earth besides the Great Wall of China. Which is it's just neat, you know. It's got That's that history. It's got that tradition. And if you do get a chance to go, I will suggest uh, a night game. It's just a different ad- uh, atmosphere. Obviously, right now, when the program's kind of down, it's, you know, you might not get a full stadium, which the Notre Dame game last year was a sellout. Mm-hmm. But if you get to go, I highly suggest it because it is one of the most unique entrances, atmospheres. When you hear 75,000 people doing the war chant, I mean, it's, it's hard not to get goosebumps, you know, when you're going and. It's just – it's a it's a fun environment. I've been to some games that, you know, were a little flat, but then I've been to, like, the 2013 Miami game where, I mean, there was at the gate liquor bottles piles the size of a Volkswagen, and it was just <laughs> – it was such an intense back-and-forth atmosphere, sold-out game. It's awesome. And I've been to a few other road games, like Clemson. I've been to uh, – if you believe it's the real Death Valley. I've been to Death Valley before – it's neat, but I just, to me, I know, like I said, I know it sounds homerish, but it's one of the coolest atmospheres in college football.
0: Well, I'll say, I watched that Notre Dame game last year in my living room, and when the war chant comes on, even in my living room, I get goosebumps. So, I mean, I can only imagine what it's like in person.
1: Oh, it's awesome. And, you know, like, my both of my nephews, they're Georgia fans, because my brother's a Georgia fan, and... I keep telling them, like, just let me take you to a Florida State game one day, and you'll understand why I'm a Florida State fan. Like, once you get to see it and experience it, I know, again, it's, everybody thinks theirs is, is the greatest. And there's a lot of really cool ones out there. And there's a lot of, like, you doing your tour to all the stadiums. I, You know, I kind of have a, a small bucket list of stadiums I'd like to go to just because of the atmosphere. But, again, you know, when you see Osceola and Renegade run out and – you know, hence the name Plant the Spear mm-hmm. and Do the War Chant. I mean, it's just, it is it is so unique. It is so one-of-a-kind. And when Florida State is good and when Doak is rocking, I feel like it's truly one of the best atmospheres in college football. It's not the largest stadium, but when it's packed, it's loud and it's its fun.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, when 75,000 people are chanting like that, it it's going to get loud.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure
0: the one of the things that like got me interested in what you were doing, and we kind of talked about this before we came on the air was your graphics and you do a great job with your graphics. I I think, and I I, I'm drawn to the graphics side because it's something that I struggle with and something that I'm not great at. So when I see good graphics, I really look at it and really enjoy it. And so that, that was what spurred my idea to get you on the show and talk to you and uh, can you, can you kind of discuss your graphics and kind of like what it, what kind of goes into that?
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. So I love like just when you go on, say, social media, Instagram, Twitter, whatnot, and you see all the football accounts putting out all their graphics and everything, their edits, and I just kind of – I've always been drawn to that, kind of the, the artsy side of things uh, for football. And I wanted to – learn how to do that on my own. And, you know, of course it's a learning process and everything you do in the beginning looks bad to you, but you learn over time. And I'll say that first, I appreciate the compliment on the graphics because I'm definitely a perfectionist when it comes to my own graphics. I like, I don't like to put anything out unless I feel like it's perfect, which it's, it never is. And there's a lot of things in my graphics that I just I'm limited by experience that I don't quite know how to do yet. So it's it's a continual learning process. But really what got me into it was I was thinking about just, you know, maybe looking at graphic design as a career and during the pandemic I found a software that was basically the closest thing to Photoshop you could get and it was 50% off. So it was basically like getting Photoshop for $25 for life. And so I jumped on it. I was like, you know, I've spent $25 on dumber things. So even if I never use it, I got it. Mm-hmm. And so once I got it, I started playing around with it. And I'm 100% YouTube University. So it's just been it's been a learning experience. But I think the more, obviously, you practice, the more you do it, the more feedback you get from it, the better you get. And I think that's just kind of where my progression in my graphics has come it takes a long time, and it's a lot more work than I thought. And like we talked about before, there might be a graphic where I put four, five, six hours into it, and I trash it because I don't like it. I have probably 50 graphics on my computer saved that I didn't put out because I just wasn't happy with it. But I think that's with anything, that when you strive for, for perfection and I mean, nobody's perfect, but when you try to be the best you can and you try to learn and you just try to excel, then you know, that's, you'll you eventually get there if you're willing to put in the work. And, and I just spend a lot of time on it because my thing is I don't live in Tallahassee, so I can't watch practice. I can't be there for every home game. And so as an emerging outlet, I'm trying to find a way to separate myself. And so I figured if I can make some of the best graphics out there, that's a way that I can stand out from the crowd. And obviously it worked because it caught your eye, which I really appreciate.
0: Hey, you're doing a great job at it. And I, I, I sincerely say that because I mean, there, there's a lot of graphics out there that just aren't very good. So, I mean, when, when there is something that's good that catches my eye, I, I appreciate it.
1: And I appreciate that. And, And I will say that I have a, profound a new profound respect for graphic designers especially for college football and just the amount of content they are able to put out and the quality of it i mean it's it's harder than i thought when i got started into it so it's definitely uh tip of the cap to those guys i know they work relentlessly at it and it is a lot so i have a newfound respect respect for those and like you said you do see some you know i'm not here to judge too many other people's stuff because I know my stuff's not perfect either and and I support everybody's, you know, doing the best they can. But like you said, there are some subpar graphics out there. And I just, when I see that, I'm like, okay, I know I can do better. I know I can do better. Mm
0: -hmm. And so
1: I just, I put in a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of work. And I just try to get, like I said, that's the one edge that I try to give myself is with the graphics. And, And I'm really glad that you were able to notice it. And some people are able to notice it. And and just enjoy the stuff I'm putting out because at the end of the day I'm doing this, you know, mostly for fun and the fans and, and everything like that. So I just wanna put out stuff that everybody enjoys and stuff that I have fun doing. And realistically I could sit down and, and make a graphic for hours and it's just it's a fun it's fun for me.
0: Mhm. Absolutely. I mean that and, and that's why we do what we do. I mean, like, one of my favorite things to do is do interviews. I love that. So that's why I do so many interviews with different people, whether it's coaches, players, fans, whoever it may be. And, I mean, so... so and that's
1: awesome. That is awesome to that you are able to, to have that resource and do that. Like, when we talked about when you invited me on, this is my first guest appearance. So, you know, I'm a little nervous, I'm not going to lie. And I've, I've wanted... I've seen where, like, in the Florida State world some of the coaches have come on podcasts and, and stuff like that. And there's been times where I really kind of want to invite somebody, but I'm like, I'm a little too nervous to ask because I'm just so new at it. Mm-hmm. I've only done, I think I have like seven episodes so far and I've really only had this, this page started since I think June, maybe. So I kudos to you for being able to to do what you do and have as many guests as you do. It's really impressive.
0: Hey, I appreciate that. It's it's a, it's a, it, it's a fun thing, and I and I love it, and I enjoy it, and it's uh, it definitely fills my sports, my itch after after I left coaching, that's for sure. But uh,
1: oh, for sure, and you know that's the thing. Another reason I started this was when I moved away from Georgia, when I moved up to the Carolinas, I kind of moved away from all my football buddies, you know, and so it was kind of like I don't really have anyone to talk sports with anymore, and I know my wife's probably tired of hearing me talk about florida state (laughs) so i just decided to find some kind of new outlet to connect with florida state fans because i can just ramble on for days about florida state and college football in general so it's it's been an an enjoyable way for me to connect with like-minded people
0: absolutely and let's kind of transition now into like the the upcoming season kind of I I know that you've, you've said that you're going to release your breakdown on like the win loss record in the coming days and whatnot. And uh, so what, how do you kind of see the season shaping out? And what do you think are real realistic expectations for the Seminoles this year?
1: So the, the crazy thing about Florida state is I kind of look at it from two point of views. One, I look at it from, I have watched Florida state play for the last two years. So it's hard for me to let my excitement run wild because I have seen this team let us down repeatedly. Unfortunately, it's just, that's just kind of the way, like they've struggled winning on the big stage. They've lost to an FCS team. So it's hard to sit here and say, Florida state's going to have a 10 win season. Mm -hmm. But if you don't know a whole lot of the background, I think people don't know the whole picture and Florida state from the end of the Jimbo Fisher era into the Willie Taggart era and now into Mike Norvell, this program was a mess to clean right. up. Right. And I think that now Norvell, while we haven't seen the success in the win-loss record yet, he has at least flipped the culture. They got buy-in now. They've kind of pushed out some of the, the bad apples in the in the locker room. They've got everybody pulling in the same direction. And they have at least been able to lift the talent level because one thing that I try and explain to people all the time is look at most of our transfers. Now they have been very effective in the transfer portal, but you have like our, one of our starting tackles played at Lamar last year and that's nothing against the guy. That's not saying he can't translate, but when you're a program like Florida state, who's less than 10 years removed from a national championship and you have a guy from Lamar or, Last year we had one of our best linemen from Northern Illinois. When you have that kind of player as your day one starter, every player who's won an award has been a transfer. You have to think about your roster and think that it's going to take time to get back to the level when you're competing against someone like a Clemson or you know even NC State's been good. So I think that now he's got things moving in the right direction. So I'm. Feeling more optimistic about the program, but it's very much cautiously optimistic. Mm-hmm. So, the way I look at the season, and I started by thinking, what, how will Florida State perform? What do I think they can do? I think when you look at last year, so there was, I'll say from last year, you probably saw that Florida State got McKenzie Milton, and right. I think everybody was excited. I think everybody thought they were going to have the UCF, Mackenzie Milton, and, mm-hmm. you know, huge shout-out to him for even being able to step on a football field
0: again. Right, absolutely.
1: <laughs> but, right. And, and, but I think that he came in and he made a couple incredible passes for the Notre Dame game. Yep. Took him to overtime and all that stuff. And I think the coaches got... They thought they had lightning in a bottle. And that's... They played him next week at Jacksonville State. And in my opinion... Jordan Travis was just a better quarterback and should have been on the field the entire season other than when he's hurt, which has been one of his liabilities. So I feel like if Jordan would have been played the whole season last year and they hadn't have tried to do that, Florida State would have probably been about seven and five. I don't think they would have lost to Jacksonville State. And, you know, there's a couple other games where if he'd have played the whole game, I feel like they would have won. So I don't know that they were totally five and seven bad, but I look at it kind of, when I went to do my win-loss prediction, I was like, well, there are so many coin flip games this year that I feel like Florida State has a great chance to win, but they could also lose. Mm-hmm. So I approached it more as, what is Florida State's ceiling? What is Florida State's floor, and what do I feel is the most likely record accounting for? There's always going to be an off week. There's always going to be a game where they come out flat. Right. You may have a player miss, a, miss you know, Jordan Travis. He might miss a game or so. Knock on wood. So I really evaluated a lot of the other teams without just thinking, oh, they were good last year. Because you really have to look like, for instance, one of the opponents Louisville, everybody is really high on Louisville because Malik Cunningham, who I also feel is one of the most underrated college quarterbacks mm-hmm. in the game. But he they lost three of their top five targets to the portal last year at receivers. So to me, that that skews things when you really dig into it, I look at Miami. Miami has a lot of preseason hype because of their new staff. Their crystal ball and their offensive coordinator over their history at, or or at least crystal ball's history at Oregon, they only pass the ball about 45% of the time because he runs a run heavy offense. Mm -hmm. So their strength is their quarterback. That is the one thing they are betting on this year. So you have a run-minded offensive play caller. You have, you just lost your two leading receivers, you have some offensive line questions. So those are the things that I tried to take into account and when I did my win projection. So realistically, I would say if Florida State plays their A game, if Jordan Travis is healthy for a majority of the season, if you know, these teams don't just bring in replacements that are reloaded and ready to go, I think their ceiling is as and people are probably gonna think I'm crazy, but I think they could go as good as 10 and 2. And that's a huge turnaround. But I also see the floor being about 6 and 6, just because there's so many coin flip games. I predict most likely you're looking at 8 and 4 is there is the record I predict they're going to end up with, which at this point in the rebuild is great for Florida State.
0: Right, absolutely. Who so, if you if you go if you go with that eight and four prediction, who would be the four teams you see them lose to?
1: So, and, and I'll, I'll try not to talk too long, but just going kind of game by game. Obviously, you got Duquesne. I think that's they're obviously right. They be- they better win that game because I am telling you, with everything that's happened in the past, if they don't beat Duquesne, I mean, this staff should have their stuff packed by the time they hit the locker room. So, and that's just the fact of it. So, I think. You get the Duquesne win. LSU is a highly, like, I half think we're going to win. A lot think we're going to lose. I'm one of the rare ones. I think they're going to beat LSU. I'm not saying it's going to be easy, and it's going to be close. But I think they beat LSU because there's a lot of question marks on offense for LSU. I'm not necessarily sold on Jaden Daniels as a quarterback, as a thrower. He is a good runner. They have some offensive line questions. They lost 85% of their rushing production from last year. And if you've seen, they just announced that John Henry Jr. or Emory Jr., he's a former five-star senior running back. He's suspended for two games. So they basically have one running back with a production who averaged 3.3 yards carry. So I think given that and given they're in game one of a new system, new offense, new defense, new quarterback, lots of new faces that they acquired through the portal, Florida State's in year three. I give the edge to Florida State, but that's another coin flip game. Louisville is one of the 50-50 games that I think they can lose. The thing is, Louisville was on pace to smoke Florida State last year. They just could absolutely could not stop them. But halftime of that game, Florida State kind of figured out their defense, and they shut Louisville out in the second half and actually outgained them in the game. So Malik Cunningham is, is – Again, he's he had over 4,000 yards of offense, almost 40 touchdowns last year. He is electric. But they have some questions, too. Their defense isn't that great. They lost a lot to the portal. I've, Florida State also has a bye week before that game. Louisville is coming off of a game against UCF. And if you watched that game last year, it was an absolute barn burner. Absolutely. So, right, it was a fun It was game. a great I game. I remember watching yeah. that one. So... To me, you have to give the edge to Florida State there, but that is a imminently losable game on the road on a Friday night that's going to be an electric atmosphere, I'm sure. I could see them losing that game. Uh, next is Boston College. This, is, I think, is a win for them. They won it last year. There was a lot of calls that didn't go their way, and I hate blaming the refs, but if you watch the game, it was, I mean, ACC doesn't stand for another crappy call for a reason. <laughs> um, and the thing about Boston College is, when you go through their numbers, and that was one thing that I really tried to base this on, was not gut feelings, but numbers and and new players and positions and everything, the facts. Because, you know, data doesn't account for your feelings. So Boston College's offense was terrible last year. They were bottom third of the country in almost every category. They have to replace their entire offensive line, all five starters. Right. So Florida State has a good defensive line. That's their strength. So I give the edge to them there because it's at home as well. Wake Forest, you also obviously have to go two routes with this. Sam Hartman, no Sam Hartman. Mm-hmm. With Sam Hartman, I'm I'm not comfortable about picking Florida State in this game. With Sam Hartman, if he has a game prior to this to kind of get, because you know you're going to have some rust, right? And you got to get in game shape. But. If Hartman's out, I count that as a win for Florida State. It's at home. Wake's defense is not that great. But, they I mean, they have a freshman receiver in A.T. Perry who is just – I mean, I think he had 1,200-something yards. He yeah. had, actually had more yards than the top four Florida State receivers combined, which is something that was a problem for us last year. So, I give with Hartman, I think Florida State probably drops that one. Without Hartman, I give him the win. Uh, next is NC State. That's uh, not happening. I hate to say it, but it's not happening. Their defense is really good. Their offense is really good. Devin Leary is just a dude at quarterback. And Raleigh is a snake pit for Florida State. They just have a hard time winning up there. Clemson, I'm really interested to see where Clemson goes over the next few years. Obviously, they lost Venables. They've now lost both of their offensive, the co-offensive coordinators from the national championship seasons. Mm -hmm. So it's time for Dabo to kind of earn his money and see if he can do it without those guys, but they have recruited so at such a high level. I just don't think Florida state has the talent, especially up front. Cause one thing people have been talking about is they think they're going to have the best defensive line they've ever had. Right. Which is scary. Pretty insane to think about. <laughs> and so we get them at home and they played them tough last year, but I think the game was kind of fluky and we were closer to maybe, the game really was, but I just don't think we can block them. So I think Florida State drops two in a row there. NC State and Clemson, Georgia Tech. I mean, it's Georgia Tech. You, now
0: you better win.
1: <laughs> they they spoiled Mike Norvell's coming out party at Florida State. They beat them. It was an embarrassing loss for FSU. It was a close game, but I think this is it's a tale of two different teams now. Florida State is not the same team they played. Obviously, Mike Norvell started in the COVID year, so you were trying to install everything over Zoom. And it's just, that seems impossible. Right. I know every team had to deal with that, but when you're a brand new staff, that's really hard. And, you know, Georgia tech, I feel like they might've had something to build around until they lost Jameer Gibbs. Mm -hmm. And I mean, he was their leading rusher, their second leading receiver and their leading kick returner. So to me, I'm giving that one to Florida state at home, Miami, man, this is going to be a good one. And, I saw a couple of people who predicted Florida state to beat Miami and they absolutely dive head first into this, into this guy's post just cause you know, Miami fans, they can't stand to be told you're going to lose anything. Right. They are always preseason champs. So I want, I want to say, I think Florida state might not be able to pull it off on the road, but I kind of like Miami or Florida State to beat Miami just because of the things we talked about earlier. They have questions at receiver. They have questions on the offensive line outside of their tackles. They're more of a run first team. Their defense was okay. It was kind of middle of the road last year. But I think that is another one of those games that I would like to see Florida State pull it off. I'm just not sure if it's going to happen. Uh, Syracuse on the road, I hate this game. It has trap game written all over it right after Miami. You go up to Syracuse, it's kind of a you know, nothing against Syracuse, but it's kind of a little bit of a boring atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And you could see them coming out flat and getting beat. The thing is, they have Sean Tucker and an okay defense. And that's really, I mean, that's that's really about it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, Florida State beat them last year, and it was their first game to snap an 0-4 street. And I know it seems easy just to pick them over Syracuse, but When you look at Garrett Schrader, their quarterback, he is a load. I mean, he's like, I think, 6'4", 6'5", over 200 pounds. He ran for a ton of yards last year. So he's he's an asset next to Tucker. But he also had, I think it was four games where he threw for under 100 yards and four games where he had no passing touchdowns. So they just – they don't – to me, they're so one-dimensional that I think Florida State gets that win – Louisiana, this game would have scared me last year. Right, they were thirteen and one last year, and I, I would have been nervous about this one. But when you look at their roster, they lost everybody, right. almost everybody. Um, starting quarterback, four offensive linemen, uh, running back who went with Napier to Florida. Uh, a lot of their defense, their head coach, their play caller, their defensive coordinator. So to me, I'm going Florida State at home there, and then Florida. I'm so torn on Florida because I feel like across the board, Florida's probably as good, maybe a little better than Florida State. But you have a question at quarterback. Right. Anthony Richardson has flashed when he's played, but he's more of a runner than a passer. And they're, I'm not overly impressed by the receiver group. So I think the fact that Florida State gets him at home at night on a Friday game, which is weird. We have two Friday night games this year. But I think they did that to lock in the prime time time slot I it's a, again it's a coin flip game I could see them beating Florida but then again they lost last year to an interim staff which was a complete embarrassment and Jordan Travis did miss a lot of that game but uh, their quarterback also threw three interceptions which kept us in it so if I had to pick the four losses I'd say NC State Clemson either Miami or Florida and potentially Wake Forest with Sam Hartman but other than that I feel like the un, and obviously, you know, every game's winnable. But to me, the unwinnable games are NC State and Clemson because I don't think they can block them. The games I feel good about would be Duquesne, Boston College, Georgia Tech, Syracuse, and Louisiana. And then your toss up games are going to be LSU, Louisville, uh, Miami, and then Florida. So if they can come out on top in at least half of those, then I think Florida State can have a pretty good season,
0: right? And I—I I, I mean, I'm not—I'm not a part of the Florida State fan base, but I think going back to a bowl game would mean a lot.
1: It really would, because last year that was, I think, what made the disappointment of the Florida loss so bad, because it was basically a battle for bowl eligibility, and so when they lost that, they missed out on a chance to kind of get back at least to a 500 season and make a bowl and you know again not to not to like sound too homerish but when you look at florida state's history especially with bobby bowden and then jimbo fisher took over and had a lot of success i mean before the losing the first losing season florida state went 40 years without a losing season 40 years without missing a bowl and it's just it's hard you know Mm -hmm. it's hard to watch that and almost every team in college football if not every team in college football in that 40 years has missed a bowl has had a losing season so it's not something that this fan base is used to and they have really high expectations and it's weird it's a weird place for us to go man i don't know about wake forest you know because when florida state came into the acc i mean they won almost pretty much every year that they came into conference they absolutely dominated so It's a strange place, and a lot of people think Norvell, if he doesn't win eight or nine games, that it's time to move on. But for me, a successful season, it may not be the season we want, but a successful season to me is a winning record, a bowl game, and no embarrassing losses, no more getting blown out, no more getting beat by an FCS team. If you can just do those things, you get some momentum – in recruiting, you get a little bit of, of quieting down the fan base, you make them a little happy. And to me, if you can finish eight and four, make a bowl game and don't, you know, have any embarrassing losses, I consider that a successful season.
0: I would agree with you. I would agree. Well it kind of transitions nicely into what we my next topic and <clears throat> being Mike Norvell and kind of where's the faith and trust in him and how much longer do you think he has? Me personally, so, my, me personally, my take, I think, looking from the outside, would be he's changed the culture and what he came into, What you've already kind of said already, he came into something that was a mess. And it, it, it's going to take him time to fix it. So, I mean, I think he needs that time to be able to do it. But I also agree with some of the other things you've said to the embarrassing losses don't help.
1: Right. And I think that Norvell obviously knows that the leash is getting shorter by, by the day. Mm -hmm. And one thing that also I think is kind of an external factor that kind of really opened all our eyes up was they hired a new athletic director and our last guy, it's been no secret. Florida state was kind of in a financial hardship there for a little bit. They had Mm -hmm. the Willie Taggart buyout and everything. And they had kind of a just steady the ship athletic director who didn't really make any waves. He was just there basically to get Florida state back. Uh, budget-wise, and he was good at that, and he did a very good job of that, but they recently named Michael Alford their new AD, and this offseason, he made a change at uh, head baseball coach, and that may seem pretty irrelevant, but uh, the baseball coach was Mike Martin Jr., the son of the most legendary baseball coach in Florida State history, and so you can see he's not playing around. Right. Like I think I think if the old regime had been here, Norvell had probably more time, but I think with this new AD in place that if they don't find success I think he will look to make a change but I think as a whole as far as Norvell is considered, you kind of have to look at the whole encompassing picture and Norvell when he got hired, obviously we all know group of five success does not mean you're going to have success at the power five level You know, look at Uh, Justin Fuente who preceded Mike Norvell at Memphis went Mm -hmm. on to Virginia Tech he's no longer there didn't have any success it didn't work out for him so there's no guarantee but when Norvell got hired there were so many coaches so many just people around the college football world they're like you guys got a good one he's a good coach and I think in today's terms people want success right now. Right, you know, They see Lane Kiffin come in, turn around Ole Miss right away and, and things like that and have immediate success, and everybody wants the same thing. But when people don't also take into account where Florida State was at. And so, like you said, he just you, there's times when you have to give a coach time. And I think right now is one of those times because you see in the background the things that have improved, which was – one of the reasons that Willie Taggart got fired was a lot of the things in the background we didn't see that were just a mess. And I think Norvell has got that under control. Now, he's righted that part of it, but he also has to start winning. He has to get some results on the field, and they have to step up in recruiting a little bit. But I will say real quick, one of the things why I'm still bullish on Norvell is because what one of the things I did was I went back and I looked at Basically, why is Mike Norvell hyped? And so I went back and looked at all of his seasons as either the sole offensive coordinator or better being head coach, which was basically Arizona State and Memphis, and which was eight full seasons. And I, I went through his career averages to figure out what basically his offense produced over that time. Because in my opinion, when you compare eight years of data to – one season in a COVID year, I would feel the numbers would trend more towards eight years than one and a half. And obviously at Arizona State and Memphis, it's not like he was coaching a ton of five stars. So he was able to produce results, you know, with the type of talent that we should have more, better talent at Florida State. Just from being in Florida alone, you know, one of the most talent-rich states in the country. Mm-hmm. And so when you go back and you look at Norvell, what I did was I took a season averages and I compared it to what it would have done last year in college football. And nationally, between passing yards, passing touchdowns, rushing yards, rushing touchdowns, total yards, and total touchdowns, all would have finished top 25 in the country on offense. And Florida State's numbers are nowhere even close to that, uh, they're on average about a hundred yards a game short on production, and th- I mean their numbers just aren't there. And so, I feel that if they can get back to where his career averages are, they will be fine. It's just does he have enough time? Does he have enough talent? And can he bring in enough talent to do that? And that's my biggest question. But you you know you don't hear a lot of people really give kudos to a coach you don't look at the numbers take your emotions out of it and you look at the numbers and and it looks successful and you just think you can't get it done it's like i always tell people it's not like tallahassee is the bermuda triangle of coaching it's not like he got here and all of a sudden forgot how to call an offense he had he's in a rebuild right so i think now they have some of the pieces again we have a lot of potential that doesn't have a lot of production to back it up, that we feel good about these players. But if he gets the pieces to run an offense like he typically could, then I think that Florida State will be okay. Their defense started shaky last year. It got a lot better. I think it's going to be a good unit this year. It's just they need to bring the offense around. Special teams has been a struggle. But in 2019, his Memphis team was second in the country in special teams. So you'd like to think he could get that improved. But, I mean, it's – it's 2022 college football. You got to win or you're going to be replaced.
0: Right? <laughs> Ain't that the truth? How how do you think that he he and the staff as a whole can can kind of up that recruiting, especially against in-state foes like Florida, Miami, UCF's even gotten up there. Like how do you think he's going to be able to do that?
1: Well, I and you know, I really wish there's the big conversation of the ACC and conference realignment. I really think the ACC should have snagged UCF before they went to the Big 12. And I'd really like Florida State to get out of the ACC for, obviously, financial reasons. So I think UCF has become really – it's not necessarily little brother anymore. Like, you have – they are going to win some battles. They are investing money into their football program. Uh, I think they just announced, like, a new football-only facility. And as far as the other two rivals go, I think that you do get – Kind of that that hype of the first year coach bump, which Cristobal, I mean, you got, as much as I don't like Miami, you got to give him credit. He's been a good recruiter over his career, mm-hmm. and I think because he's alumni, he's a great fit there. I think they're going to recruit at a good level, but it all has to it depends on your results on the field, which has hampered Florida State so badly. And to me, if Florida State could get that eight and four season. I think it would just – their recruiting would skyrocket because they're Florida State, one thing people don't realize is they are able to get a lot of the bigger recruits on campus. They are able to get visits. They are able to get these guys that are high-profile recruits that are like, well, I mean, I like it there. They're, it's different. They always preach about how it's a family atmosphere there, and it's just different than most of the places that they – on their visits. But they just want to see the success on the field. And it just hasn't come yet. And so the first thing they have to do is win. Obviously, naturally, you have to put some results on the field, which I think would absolutely skyrocket their recruiting. And to be fair, there's a few coaches on the staff that, I mean, I don't know that they're gonna make a change, but I think I would be okay with making a change because Norvell needs to bring in some recruiters. And this was kind of one of the my worries when he did come he was a recruiting coordinator for at Memphis and partially at Arizona State so i mean he has experience in the recruiting game but you know recruiting in the south is just it's its own animal especially when you're competing against SEC teams because speaking on the in-state rivals realistically when you look at it most of the talented players in Florida aren't staying in Florida they're going to Alabama they're going to Georgia they're going right. to Clemson and i think that it's not so much Obviously, there's a competition between FSU, Florida, and Miami. But I think for all three programs' benefit, they need to all get back to a good level where they can build a fence around Florida like they used to have. And, right. and that will raise, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. So if everybody can start keeping these guys in state, then I think that'll help. But really, it just it boils down to success on the field and, you know, maybe evaluating some of your staff members to bring in some more elite recruiters who some of the guys just maybe aren't pulling their weight a whole lot. So, you know, Florida State, still, when you look at 2020, their 2024 class, they're currently number two in the country per 247 uh, two, recruit rankings, which is what I like to use. So, you know, they already have a five star running back, and they have a, like their quarterback, he's only a three star, but I mean, I've seen, they just uh, let out a highlight video from this game, and I mean, he's got a, he's a gunslinger and hasn't even been playing the position very long. So there's obviously some shortcomings. Everybody sees the misses on quarterback that they've had, which is concerning. Uh, But, you know, I think think they're okay. I think the biggest thing you have to look at is Florida State's Achilles heel for the longest time has been their offensive line, probably since at least 2014. And Alex Atkins is just an absolute dog on the trail, and he has been a blessing to Florida State this offensive line room is completely different than what we've seen. And most of his highest ranked recruits haven't even set foot on the field yet. You know, you got Julian Armella and, and who's already, he's a true freshman. He's already listed as a depth player because he's just that he's good. And so Lucas Simmons, he's already a high rated four star and he's only been playing American football for one season. So the offensive line recruiting has vastly improved and, you know, Most people agree it's one in the trenches, but they have to get better at getting athletes. They have like the receiver position is lacking and, you know, they need to make sure they hold on to the quarterbacks that they have. But I think, like I said, you get some success on the field, you add in kind of some of the pieces they already have and the level of offensive line recruiting. I think they'll be okay, obviously, unless, you know, unless something happens like, Florida State just absolutely bombs the season, say they go 3-9, and 4-8, and eight. then I feel like Norvell probably will get fired. Mm-hmm. And then you have, to, you have to start all the way over. But, you know, when you start over, people don't understand, they, they clamor for a new coach, but that puts you so far behind. You lose those relationships. You lose those ties. You lose what little bit of footing you had. And you put yourself behind Miami and Florida who are starting over themselves. So I think they just really, it just boils down to winning on the field.
0: Absolutely. Like you said, I mean, in the 2022 world of sports that we live in, that's the end all be all.
1: Right. And, and, you know, a lot of people, they like you look at they've been successful in the transfer game, which is something that to me, when you look at if you can land transfers, a lot of these guys are, are more grown. They're older players. They've been around programs for a while you know, they're not so much interested in coming in and doing photo shoots and sitting on a Lambo on the field and right. and things like that. They're about their business, and they want to know how can I help you and how can you help me. Mm-hmm. And so when you see Florida State able to pull in a guy like Jermaine Johnson, like Jamie Robinson, like Kier Thomas, and, and these guys who have been real impact players, and they talk about the staff and how good they think that the staff is, then, you know, I think they'll be okay. And the portal does obviously open up a whole new dimension where even if you may not have the greatest high school class, which you obviously don't want to build a roster around transfers, but, it I mean, it's a game changer because imagine, like, how bad Florida State would be right now if it wasn't for the transfer portal.
0: Right. And so
1: they have been effective in that, and, and I think that can at least provide a stopgap until for talent until – they can show the success on the field, which I really hope is coming this year.
0: One one more question to to end it, I think is, I think it's an important thing for you guys with Jordan Travis at quarterback. I mean, his running ability is is a needed dimension for your team, but like you've said before, he's got to stay healthy. And uh, so, kind of, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, the thing about Jordan is he has missed a lot of time over his career from being banged up he missed a lot of camp last year and so this is his first year where he's had some experience in the season before he's been all the way through spring camp he's been all the way through fall camp and he is now the unquestioned quarterback one of the team he's not splitting snaps with someone where every season he's basically been kind of rotating with someone else and i think the that Obviously affects your mentality. So mm-hmm. I do think Jordan Travis is set up to have his best year yet. And one of the one of the things I did to evaluate Jordan because obviously he is an he is a dynamic runner. He has an ability that not a lot of quarterbacks have. He can really just make plays out of nothing. Uh, he ran for if you don't count the sack yards, he ran for over 600 yards last year, and I think he's going to run for about the same. But I do think he's underrated as a passer as well and most of the hits that he took that were that injured him were in the pocket. So, I don't think the staff should be scared to run him with keeping in mind you need to tell Jordan like you got to slide, man. You mm-hmm. got to get out of bounds, you got to throw it away. You are the guy we're relying on and you can't risk yourself like that. And I do think if something does happen, we don't really have a proven backup, so that is something to think about. I think it's a guy who can step in and be serviceable, but if, the, if Jordan Travis is out, then this offense is probably going to fall off a cliff because he is your most dynamic athlete. He is the best offensive weapon you have, and you have to use him, and his legs are part of that game. You have to game plan for him, and one thing when you look at last year, when you don't have a passing attack, I mean, teams can just load the box and force you to, to pass to beat him, so, if Florida State has more of a passing attack this year, then I think it can open up some holes for Jordan to really kind of eat on some of these defenses. And when you look at him as a passer, real quick, one thing that I did was, because he didn't—he only had about 200 pass attempts last year because he split it reps and he missed time with injury. But when you go through his percentages to kind of smooth the data out, comparing it to some of the other ACC quarterbacks, he's right on par when you look at, uh, especially some of the more advanced stats, completion percentage, adjusting, com- adjusted completion percentage, uh, turnover-worthy play rate, big-time throw rate. He's right there with everybody. And so I think he could have a pretty good season passing, too. And, I, like, I even went back and looked at some of the quarterbacks Norvell's had in the past and just kind of, you know, this is obviously apples to oranges, all hypothetical. None of this is guaranteed. But when you took his averages – And you added them out, like, for instance, say he averaged, uh, I think it was like 7.9 yards per attempt, and then Norvell typically throws the ball about 460 times a season, where they only threw it 340, and Jordan only threw it about 200 times. But, like, if you said, okay, if he averages this times about 200 more passing attempts, he's, I mean, right on par for what Norvell gets out of his quarterbacks, which is Norvell's never had a season where a quarterback threw for under 3,000 passing yards. And so Jordan Travis had a little over 1,500 last year. So I think he can actually have a better season than people expect coming from just having that experience, having better receivers, having better O-line play. So I think you do have to use his legs, but I think you're going to see a better season with his arm first. But, you know, I mean, he's, he's an undeniable weapon on the ground that you just have to take advantage of. You know, but it's a risk you take. But I mean again, like I said, most of the time he missed last year was hits in the pocket. So I think you're at risk anyway. So you just kinda gotta Norvell Norvell needs to win. You know, he right. needs to win. So right. I think you have to go all out, use all your resources. So I expect to see a heavy dose of his running this year.
0: I think it's what gives you the best chance to win too. I mean, like you were saying.
1: I really do. I really do. And he does, you know, he, a lot of his runs last year came from scrambles or plays, right? He actually doesn't run a ton on design runs, but I think that you may see a little bit more of that now in the preseason, they wouldn't let him run at all. They, they really wanted him to focus on being more of a passer because I think they know this offense will live and die with him at quarterback. So Mm -hmm. I think they want to protect him, you know, but again, when you have a guy who's that electric on the ground. I mean, you got to take advantage of that. You have to use him. So I do expect to see them really kind of let Jordan loose. And I think he is set up to have a really good season. Obviously, you know, he's, you have to understand the limitations. You know, he's not necessarily probably going to win the Davey O'Brien or anything like that. But I think he can be a much better quarterback than people give him credit for.
0: I absolutely agree with you. I, I wholeheartedly agree with that and that's going to bring us to the end of the show i really really appreciate you jumping on with me tonight
1: yes i'm so i'm so thankful for you to have me on i really enjoyed it like i said i don't get to talk a whole lot of football anymore with with people so i really enjoyed coming on i appreciate you having me and hopefully we can do this again sometime hopefully uh, you know maybe when you get around to your florida state game trip you can you can give me a shout and i'll meet you down there you know i uh I'm pretty excited, like to go to New Orleans for this LSU game. I know it's going to be an absolute electric atmosphere. I really kind of wish we had done a home and home because Baton Rouge is Tiger Stadium is kind of on my, that's one of my bucket yep. list stadiums yep. to go visit. But you know, I know it's going to be an awesome atmosphere. I'm pumped for it. But yeah, man, I, I really appreciate you having me on. And like I said, whenever you want to go to Tallahassee, just give me a shout.
0: Absolutely. I will definitely do that. Let the listeners know where they can, uh, follow you and, and hear your podcast.
1: Awesome. So we are plant the sphere podcast and you can find us on all your podcasting apps. I list every show on our website, plant the Uh, you can look us up on Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter. I'm the most active on Twitter. Uh, we are, we are plant the sphere one on Twitter because The name was kind of already taken, but I already had the website name. So we just rolled with it. So if you just search us, you'll find us. We're pretty active on social media and, uh, I really appreciate everybody's support. I really appreciate every single like every single comment, every single follow. I really do cherish it and I appreciate everybody. And, and I just thank you for having me on again.
0: Absolutely. And again, thank you to my listeners who tune in, uh, every, every episode. I appreciate you guys so much for doing that. Uh, It's truly a blessing. So have a good night, everybody. God bless.